Hello, everybody. Um, I'm still, to my consternation, John Atak. Um, but there you are. It just seems to happen every day when I wake up. That's who I am. Um, and this is my, my dear friend and colleague, Joe Zimhart. Hi, Joe. Hello, John. Uh, good to meet you as John Atak today and not some yes. kind of an alien walk-in from another planet, um, you know, another solar system that is speaking to me here. Uh, it, thanks it, for that. It, in the in 1982, some chap issued a, a, a Hubbard Communications Office bulletin in red print on white in the proper order called the Original Founders Bulletin, in which this chap claimed I was the original Ron Hubbard. I was chased out of the body in 1952. And he actually did develop a little bit of a following. Um, I was not among those people. It's just So who knows which of Ron Hubbard's body thetans was in charge at any given moment. You know, it's hard to tell. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. That idea predates Hubbard in the sense that when you read Madame Blavatsky, and we go back to her often, her biographers say that that she claimed after the Battle of Montagna, she fought in this revolutionary war and got wounded, apparently, when she was a young woman. Mm. Uh, the ultra feminist, you know, mm. she, she grew up around soldiers. Her, her father was a military commander and uh, she hung around with the soldiers. She learned how to ride like a man. When she was young, which was unusual for women back in those days and, and curse like a soldier. Which was we, a little we, unusual. We're talking about something like the 1830s or the 1840s or something. Well, yeah, she was born in 1831, so we're looking at 1840s. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 1850s. 1840s mainly. So her claim was that the proper jiva, her words, which is the spirit inside of us, you know, that, that word, um, was 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 shattered, was gone, and left the body when she was wounded, and this other collection of, of wisdom entities entered her, and there were five in number um, that, that she claimed were uh, the old man of the hills, which was some kind of a guru well-known during that day, Joakul, uh, Kuthumi, Saint Germain, and El Moria, or mm -hmm. Moria. Um, they were her, the main entities operating through her, which thus gave her the ability, in her words, to write the secret doctrine because they worked through her to do it, and Isis unveiled, and also uh, uh, gave her these paranormal abilities, which they had already gained in the so-called ascended or adept state they were in. The ability to so, con thousands of people. Yeah, so she was not who, she was this sphinx, this hmm? mystery to the theosophists around her. And she let them believe that. And of course, she was the, the first subject of investigation for the British Society for uh, para, uh, Psychical um, Psychical Research. research. Yeah, yeah. Found, founded by William James. Um, yes. Uh, and uh, she was the first person to be exposed as a fraud by mm -hmm. a society that very much wanted to prove you know, that she could do these things, but. Right, so, so they weren't going in as, as pure skeptics. They were oh. going in as scientists. Yeah. Because theosophy claimed to be teaching an occult science. In other mm -hmm. words, it was verifiable. And you had to have evidence and she, provi she provided evidence. She had this kind of a box where people could go. Uh, it was opposite her bedroom in this wall um, where people could leave messages for the masters. And the next day, somehow out of the ethers, a message would appear 
there for them from the master. And of course, the, uh, they found out that, that she had had this destroyed when she knew they were coming, but, but there was evidence to show that there was indeed a new construction on her side of the wall of her room opposite where this box was. And anyway, she was quite a trickster and she got away with uh, some things around her devotees. Um, so, but, but the point I'm making is that, that, uh, she made this claim that she was not Madame Blavatsky anymore. She was mm. this other entity inhabited by these adepts. Mm. I mean, in the early fifties, you know, and Ron Hubbard, his work is so voluminous that, you know, the Guinness book of world records lists him as the most prolific author of all time. And nearly all of that is Scientology, although he did write hundreds of pulp stories. Um, they're quite short. Um, and, you know, but so to, to actually understand this literature, because he kept changing his mind every six months about what was or wasn't real. But in the early 50s, he came up with this idea of um, there being several entities within any human body, which is very mm -hmm. like the Chinese ideas about the multiple souls, you know, like the, yeah. the Po or the bodily soul, for example, which he called the genetic entity. And I remember that he calls one of these entities the crew chief. And I was a little surprised, and it, I do actually mention it in Opening Our Minds. I don't mention the Hubbard part of it, but there's a contemporary neuroscientist, Jak Panksepp, who's very well known, who's come to this point, there are seven entities. You know, there are seven individual mm -hmm and parts in, in any human psyche and two of them will dominate. And it, it just felt so similar to the, these ideas, which will keep being re-expressed. Um, as to how true it is, I, I have questions about that, but. Well, you know, again, you have to wonder because um, even Buddhism, claims that there is no proper atma there's no self yeah it's, it's so you when you meditate you meditate on the not self because you have all these attributes which are entities mm. of sorts and, and it, those it, attributes dissolve at death they they and they rearrange and maybe reincarnate in some other form but the self does not reincarnate in, in mm. buddhist idea that doesn't happen there is no self and it's the the, the core doctrine of buddhism isn't it anatta no self right and uh, again, in right. modern psychology, we're seeing a statement of a very similar thing, which is that there is no central command point in the brain. There are 200 brain regions. They interact fluidly. And um, yeah, for a while, it was thought the chiasmatic nucleus might be where the soul was, if you like. And, and mm -hmm. about 20 years ago, that disappeared. So we are left with another conception that, that you have this multiplicity, but you don't have discrete entities. That's that's where I think modern neurology is is somewhat better. You have these mm -hmm. interfused aspects of right. which pretend to be a self, if you like, which give us. Well, the, I think they the pretend unity. when we use the word focus. You know, you you gather the troops inside your your skin and focus on a task at hand, and that creates a self. Yeah. You know, and, and so. Within the mind, if you can, if you can gather those troops to focus on auditing <laughs> in Scientology, self now is being audited, and uh, or or if you can focus as in art, you know, on on the canvas on a particular theme, mm. 
you're trying to express and, and, it, and it begins to emerge and you begin to, especially with modern art, um, abstract expressionist type work, the canvas starts to talk to you and, and you become almost, the self is, is integrated into the canvas itself during the production of the painting. Yeah, you know, so that becomes part of the self, the external self. I mean, it's kind of what Heidegger called, um, uh, in, in terms of outer technology or anything that's outside of us that, that that we can use, standing reserve. You know, so the self can extend itself into the universe through or whatever into the technology that's around us, whether using our phone or using a, a computer mm -hmm. or using a hammer. All these things are standing reserved for us to become more of a self, mm. you know, an extension. We're not just using words to express ourselves. We're using a hammer, we're using a computer, you know, we're using a, an engineering formula. We're using subatomic physics, mm. you know, and, and suddenly we become a bomb. You know, we can do that. <laughs> yeah, I am become I am become death. You destroyer know, of worlds. Oppenheimer, the destroyer of worlds. Yeah. Misquoted from the back. He was referring to himself, not just Shiva. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely, and yeah, that this. I, I tend towards the view that the mind is a semi has a semi permeable membrane. Let's put it that way. That and so we are able, you know, as you say, when making a painting, and this is something we both know about from personal experience. The WB Yeats said, how can you tell the dancer from the dance? That's the, the wonderful line in one of his poems. And there does come that point where um, the mind is also the environment in which the mind is active. And so we're receiving stimuli from the environment, which are triggering responses within us. So, you know, we smell a particular floral scent and it reminds us of something. So the mind is, I think, far more complex and beautiful than is is generally realized. And yeah, it's, be it's best not to define it strictly. I think, and, yeah. and in fact, this was Kant's great contribution. Some people would dispute it, but his Copernican revolution of philosophy was to show that the mind is active in creating our reality to an extent. It doesn't control it. It has to interact with what's presented in the environment. And the better the mind does that with its capacity, uh, its categories of experience, um, the better our connection to reality out there is. You know, now, you know, th there's some in fact, I was just reading this book again, <laughs> came out in 1991, called The Plato Cult. Uh -huh. And it's written by a, a, a Brit, uh, David Stove, a philosopher. S-T-O-V-E. Okay. And it, reading it, I mean, he's a neo-positivist. So you get the idea, he's kind of atheist and, and he very cheeky in his essays in here, ridiculing how philosophers think, even mm -hmm. philosophers that are positivists. And, uh, but but he, he has issue with Plato and idealists mm -hmm. very much so because he sees a danger in that and people get way off track very quickly because the premises that they go on, the basic assumptions they go on are completely wrong, mm. infallible, and yet they think they're solid evidence. And so that's why he goes against Kant, and, and uh, he, but, but he also argues against uh, people that do like astrology, you mm. know, which is a lot more obvious 
that they're way off track to begin with, what the hell are they going to get out of it in the end? Hmm. You know? But but he says things about art as well, um, uh, which are both uh, quite damning <laughs> about modern art, kind of like Tom Wolfe would say in The Painted Word. He, ex he quotes Tom Wolfe in here. Yeah. That, that we kind of make up this world and sell it for great amounts of money. Oh, Robert, but, Robert but anyway, yeah. yeah but, but, and the same thing with, with new religions. We, we come up with this idea, this ideal of what we think is real and sell it, you know, to people. So he calls that the Plato cult and other philosophical follies uh, in this book. Mm -hmm. But reading it to me is uh, like taking a reality bath because, you know, you have to question you know, am I falling into these self traps of believing in my own ideals without further questioning? Them? You know, so I'd recommend the book to anybody that, that needs a good, uh, you know, Shower. scrubbing when it comes to uh, reality testing. <laughs> mm, I, I shall find a copy of it. Yeah, it's interesting. It's good reading. You might not agree with him, you know, but um, it's still good reading. He's very smart. Very mm. Yeah, I, I've. Um... Quite by accident, I'm spending much of my time reading about Charles Manson, but we won't talk about that because. Um, by the way, I just reviewed the Netflix series uh, called uh, "How to Become a Cult Leader," that, okay. that's been on and talked about quite a bit, and, and uh, the ICSA reviews, which is a new thing coming out with reviews, book reviews, and so forth, asked me to review it. So, what I did uh, a couple of days ago on Saturday here was binge watch the whole six series, six part series. It's, I wasn't going to watch it until, you know, because I, you know, I, I'm a little disgusted with even looking at the word cult, you know, it, 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 it's just too much, you know, mm. as you know, in our lives, we, we look into it very much because of what we do. Yeah. But, um, but, but anyway, I did watch it. And it's, it's, it's easy watching. It's not, it's more entertaining than informative, but tries to be informative. Mm. It really makes an effort. There's some good people on it, you know, like uh, Rachel Bernstein and Yanya Lalich and yeah. some ex-members and other people I haven't heard of that, that that seem to know their stuff when it comes to how mind control works and all of that. Mm. Um, and and uh, some ex-members of the groups they're talking about, like Manson is the first one, Jim Jones is another one, uh, and there's there's four others, including Sung Young Moon at the end. I'll have a look at the Manson. I, you know, I'm, I'm working on a book proposal at the moment, which will have a chapter on Manson because mm. I have information that's not been made public about Charles Manson. And I didn't realize it hadn't been made public. I have Scientology's internal documents about him, which the FBI got in 1977. And it also seems, uh, and we will move on from this, um, it also seems that the use of Datura by that group, uh, Jimson weed or loco weed, Nobody really seems to understand, have understood just how dangerous deliriant drugs are. We're not talking about LSD or you know, the hallucinogens. We're talking about a cast of drugs that throw you into a nightmare and leave you mm -hmm. there for, well, Tex Watson talked about being 10 days tripping. So he wouldn't have slept during that time. So he wouldn't have been in very good shape, frankly. He was uh, picked up on the sidewalk in Van Nuys, 30 miles away from where he'd taken the Datura and oh, arrested uh, because he was crawling on his hands and knees among a crowd of school children going beep 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 and a few months later of course he led the murders but 
so anyway, I'm reading lots and lots and lots about Manson and the people around him, and I needed a bit of a break. So uh, I picked up uh, Simon Sharma uh, book, um, the English historian, English Jewish historian. Um, and I'm reading about the Commonwealth, the period um, when King Charles I lost a civil war in the 1640s, and Oliver Cromwell rose to power. And you have this incredible upsurge of, of thinking, you know, uh, mm. modern anarchism probably has its origins there with with groups like the diggers, um, who were also not the same people around during Charlie Manson's time in California, the diggers, um, naming themselves after this group, you had the levelers, you had the Quakers who come out at that time. So you have this incredible free for all of ideas, because although the Puritans who took over were thoroughly nasty people, um, and looking at what Cromwell did in Ireland, you know, it was a genocide, mm. a despicable man. But although they were thoroughly nasty, they did accept freedom of religion within certain confines. And we start seeing something that we've been talking about, which is the view of an apocalypse, the idea that these are the end days. Um, I mean, it probably goes back even before the gospel promise that that Jesus will return within the lifetime of those hearing the message. And um, which is why I think we've got the wandering Jew who's been alive all for 2000 years now wandering around waiting for Jesus to come back so that there'll be somebody who was alive in Jesus's lifetime. So I'm told. But this idea, this driving idea of Armageddon, the war to end all wars, and, and which resurfaces pretty much in every generation. I mean, my introduction to it was Norman Cohn's remarkable pursuit of the millennium, which mm -hmm. I've often thought about this. I read it in 1981 when I was still involved in Scientology, but it was the first time he made me think about the people around me in Scientology, that many of them were driven by faith, that there was, there was no reasoning involved. They were absolutely determined this was the, the way, the truth and the life. And that you know, helped me to start thinking about my own engagement with Scientology. Um, but, but, I mean, he's talking about the, the millennium, the first millennium, uh, mm -hmm. though, in fact, much of the material he's talking about is from around about 1200, when there's you know, the thought that 1250 is going to be a, an epochal point and the Crusades have started up and this living with the dread you know then we get groups like the jehovah's witnesses who repeatedly promise us the end of the world i think it's going to be 2033 next time they started i think with 1914 and you know thing is to push it off a bit further into the future george orwell gave us 1984 we managed to survive that um we had the the, the mayan end of the world in 2012 and there are people who say it did happen but we just didn't notice it and there was Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth for 1988. That, yeah, which it was, was, it was a mega seller yeah, uh, among, so, among evangelical Christians. Yeah. yeah. And it, if we look at the, the idea that authoritarian groups um, in, induce phobia in their followers, induce fear, um, whether it's fear of leaving the group, which is a particularly strong one, or fear of being in the world by aggravating people's anxiety, they become more controllable. And this, you know, I mean, I, was, I picked up a, 
an apocrypha. I was looking for um, the Book of the Secrets of Enoch, which is one of the Jewish uh, apocalyptics. Of course, somehow the revelation of St. John the Divine found its way into the, the, the canon of the Christian church. Um, and scholars are sort of saying, oh, well, it's just a, a, a complaint about the Diocletian persecution or something like this. Um, but it, it has had such an influence, it, including upon, and I said I wasn't going to talk about this, Charlie Manson, that, that right. his central textbook was the revelation of St. John the Divine. Um, how much he understood it is another matter. He was not a particularly bright man. But, but this, this drive towards apocalypse, um, we, we talked about uh, the Blue Rider group, the Blauer Reiter in Munich, who, uh, with Vasily Kandinsky, um, Franz Marc, Paul Clay, August Macker, Gabriela Munter, uh, Schoenberg, these people who exhibited in 1912 in Munich. And they very much believed that um, the apocalypse was going to happen and that it would be a, a great cleansing, you know, mm. uh, sort of Mussolini's, you know, war is the hygiene of nations and everything would be wonderful afterwards. And well, I, that was uh, the futurist manifesto that Marinetti wrote. It was about cleansing, you know, which was the basis of fascism when you look at it. Um, and and uh, Marinetti, and it, was, it, was an, it was an art movement, you know, as you said, like the Blau Rider, it was in the air. It was something, maybe there was premonition of World War One coming. I don't know, but it definitely uh, had an impact on people, uh, and they were looking for miracles. And this is where Padre Pio came up in as as the greatest saint in Italy, uh, because he was part of this God descending to help us get through these horrible end times. And he's going to heal us, and he's going to save us, and he's going to. And there was even stories of Pio being able to go go out of his body and stop. Uh, fighter jets and and things, you know. Uh, yeah, they they believed all kinds of miracles associated with Pio back in that day. And and, and this is during the fascist period from the twenties in Italy. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pio, um, yeah, yeah. He became, he appealed to the early fascists in the thirties, hmm. um, and and in the late twenties. Yeah, yeah, of course, Mussolini comes to power quite early, doesn't he? I think 1921. And yes. Marinetti, who, you know, all of the futurists have pushed aside because of Marinetti's later involvement with fascism. But of course, it's a pre-First World War movement. And for me, the yeah. great artist of it is Umberto Boccioni, who died in World War One. So he was right. never a fascist. But people are, there's still this kind of taint, uh, I think, that's associated because of Marinetti's you know, who was the creator of futurism because of his right but 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 the the impulse to cleanse the self to to change to bring about the new age mm. even by force and, and whether that's inner force you know through deep meditation or whatever or outer force through war um that that was sort of in the air among a lot of people that and, mm. and of course the the idea of christian apocalypse fed right into that yeah the millennials and pre-millennials and it came you know in the millerites in the uh, 19th century that, that bred the kind of thing that led to the Jehovah Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists, which also predicts the end. Hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, yeah, I think this kind of thing was in the air in so many ways. And, and the idea that, that science itself was cleansing the world of, of bizarre ideas of, hmm. of 
you know, religion and all of that. And so you had the occult revival claiming that science doesn't know everything. And uh, we know more than they do because our wisdom goes back into the perennial ages, you know, the time of Hermes. And, uh, you know, so, so there's this big argument going on and the artists pick up on this, obviously. Hmm. Um, I mean, in, in, as well as new religions picked up on it. In, yeah. in Britain, I, I became very interested in, in the lead up to the first war. And so, you know, finding that, that the feeling in Germany seemed to be generally that they were the most cultivated and sophisticated people in the world. They produced the great philosophers and the great composers. They had invented the concept of socialism under Bismarck, which was absolutely not how the word is used today, that they were uh, not a democracy uh, under the Kaiser. Uh, the first Kaiser. Mm. But Bismarck comes up with this concept of socialism, which, which is looking after everybody, making mm. ev sure everybody has an education, which had been going on in Prussia since, I think, 1806 um, under Willem von Humboldt. And so they consider themselves better than the rest of the world, and they wanted to give the advantage of their civilization to the world. I think that was the German feeling. The British feeling was very different. Um, before the First World War, there were more than 400 novels written about Jap uh, German saboteurs. Um, Erskine Childers' The Riddle of the Sands has remained in print from that day to this. The, the rest of them have all fallen apart. The term The Great War was first used in 1911, three years before it started. So there was this yeah. propaganda preparation for this. And it, and it did prove to be a, a cleansing, though uh, what a horrific way of doing it. You know, a third of, of the young men of, of the European states died, uh, yeah. half of the aristocracy. And it, you know, I think, having watched Downton Abbey, I think it's rather good that it caused the demise to some extent of the British aristocracy and therefore of colonialism. Um, mm. But that was not the cleansing that was anticipated. That There, there is forever this thought of a, of a paradise a heaven on earth um or a heaven beyond that that will be achieved through great struggle through armageddon through great sacrifice and that the optimism that the germans had before the first world war of course turned to hitlerism ultimately and in a sense of um wounded pride you know of hurt that that their ideals had failed and their leaders had failed them and they then of course there's this anomaly somebody called me an anti-semitic the other week it's, it's oh. been a while since that happened um and uh, yeah I, I should point them towards the um the piece on holocaust denial that that is on this channel if they really want to think that but a, a fact that's very little known is is that intermarriage between Jews and Gentiles in the German states was at its highest ever point when Hitler came to power in 1933. And so he was fighting against a trend rather than continuing the anti-Semitism of previous century, which of course was also an aspect of millenarianism that when the Crusades began, the first thing was to go through Europe and kill as many Jews as you could find on, right. on the way to um, the Middle East. But that that drive, that idea of you know our lives being inadequate, and as you say, that there's either the apocalypse out in the world, or the apocalypse of the self, where where one is seeking spiritual transcendence. 
and we are living in a world where the majority of the people offering this are counterfeit they're, they're right well this has been the theme of almost every harmful cult that, that i've studied is okay we're, we're going to change things we're going to make things better in the world but in order to do that we have to change ourselves first hmm. you know so you take this lsd you do this meditation for the next 10 years you pay two hundred thousand dollars for courses that bring you closer to the bridge to total freedom you you know it, it, it's it's an endless you you do these decrees like in, in my group you know two and a half hours or more a day and the cleansing process within will begin and then the outer uh, ethers from the ascended masters will inspire you and you will help to change the world. You know, so it's this kind of uh, cleanse the self, uh, become better, and then you can change the world. I mean, this is the whole basis behind almost every diet out there. Mm. You know, you've got to go within, make yourself more perfect through these techniques, and then you'll become a better person and more successful and people will like you more and and uh, you might even become head of a company, and but you're not going to do it if you're fat. <laughs> Damn, I wanted to be fat, Joe. It's just not yeah. fair. I've been trying all my life. Um, and they're, 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 what about the fat Buddha? Obviously, he's very happy, even though. Of well, course, what's your secret? How do you stay thin? Um, I not, think not... I think it's genetics mainly. <laughs> okay. I really do. I'm also, a, a, yeah, I am a foodie, a food freak. I admit it. I have been since I was a teenager. In fact, the first cult group that I encountered was macrobiotics. And now, now be careful here. If you need to, you can make money off of this if you carefully package what you're saying and sell it. I am going to, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. A, a professor here called Tim Spector has done a, a rather stunning job of packaging okay. this and written three fine books about it. And, um, mm -hmm. You can go online and find you can join the study that that they're doing where you monitor your you know your glucose levels and uh, your blood fat levels and things like this and can actually adapt your diet to suit your personal microbiome and they've they've had i looked at the other day they've had 116,000 people do this so far this wow. uh it's called the zoe predict study you can you know we'll probably put a link in so you yeah you can purify yourself joe it's time <laughs> Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, too late for us. Eh? The, and the, the other thing that's been fascinating, you know, a few couple of weeks ago, I was thinking I must talk to Joe about, about this because I keep running into groups that believe that, that through the power of prayer, they can control the world. Mm -hmm. And it's not asking God to be kind. And I, as I recommend, as, as I remember, the scripture, Jesus said that, that you should have only one prayer, and that is our Father that art in heaven, and you mustn't follow the vain repetitions of the heathens, I think is the other bit of the passage. So it, it's always, you know, I, I feel very conflicted about the way people follow gospel because they don't seem to. And they, yeah, they, I, I, think I it, was it, taught to pray, God bless mummy and daddy, and Jesus doesn't yeah. say that, you know. But that's... Yeah. So th the thought of rather than making a kind of request, things move over into making a demand. I think the idea of prayer is a good idea, though I'm an agnostic and I don't do it. But I think the idea of listing, you know, who you would like to benefit in the world, you know, um, that that's a good thing. Thinking about how you would like good things happen. It's when it starts shifting off into, you know, Nichiren Shosu or um, 
the secret or Scientology mm -hmm. or Christian science, right. where you're making demands upon the world as if you as one of what nearly 8 billion people, let alone how many earwigs there are in the world, that your wishes will come true, that all of the universe will, can be bent to make sure that you you get a Mercedes Benz. If you you know, the, the, the irony, yeah, the irony, John, is that that a lot of these religions that condemn witchcraft are actually practicing witchcraft. Exactly. And with witchcraft, basically all it is, is learning how to manipulate the environment, you know, in some way through spells, incantations, rituals, um, you know, and this is maybe the most ancient of religions. When you think about human beings drumming in order to keep. Make the rainfall. Well, not only that, but, but to keep uh, dangerous animals away at night, mm. you know, in, from, the, from the encampment. And that's, then, what, that's why I play the drums, I tell you. And then it's, it doesn't take much of a leap to keep the humors, the bad humors away, meaning the, the evil things that you have within that you project as demons out there. You know, so you use the drum to keep them away too. So if it keeps away a lion, it can keep away a demon. And, um, you know, so people put amulets around the house, uh, wolfbane on the windowsill. Um, Dream you know, catchers. They hang, the horse, they hang the horseshoe upright, you know, to catch luck. Yeah, don't um, want to get it the wrong way up. Oh, no. No, you don't want to get the wrong way. You know, so, so th this is such common instinctive behavior. It, you know, as as uh, David Stowe would would say, uh, it's it, it's it's the Plato cult. Mm. It, it you know, it's trying to make the ideal real in 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 through ritual, through technique, like through astrology, for instance. Mm. Um, you know, coming up with this elaborate scheme of a thousand different interpretations of who you are, and then getting someone to read that for you or coming into an agreement. And uh, hopefully you have deeper insight based on the wisdom you got from the stars, which is a mm -hmm. powerful source, you know, when you think about it, which is a, it, more or less a stand in for God. You know, the Zodiac is a stand in for God. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I just think we, we can't escape it. I find myself doing it sometimes, you know, hoping that sending someone good energy, a good thought or whatever, you know, I hope it gets better, right. even though I know exactly what I'm doing, you know, and that it's, that it's, it's not going to happen that way, that, that if I want to send my good thoughts to somebody, it's better to call them on the phone and talk to them <laughs> and try to ease their, their mind or whatever it is, mm. you know, then, then I'm actually doing something and it's, it's testable. It's, you know, and, uh, and it might not have the effect I wish it had. Again, mm. I have faith in the conversation that I can help them, but it might not happen. Mm. I, I mean, for me, the, the great disappointment in leaving Scientology, I've been involved in a system which is focused upon intention, which is to say magic, you know, that you will be able to get somebody to do something. And which I thought was fine because I only wanted people to do things that were to their own benefit. I never wished, you know, harm. again, this is the basis of Wicca. You yeah, know, the Wiccan religion is to do good. You only do good because if you send out something bad, it'll come back three times according to their mm. um, karmic uh, 
role. Absolutely. I'm sure that's that's absolutely true. The, the, the problem that I encountered on leaving Scientology and thinking about magic and magical thinking and magical beliefs was that there couldn't be any such thing as white magic because magic is putting your intention into somebody without their consent. So when you make a love talisman or something, you are actually not bothering to, to ask the opinion of the person who's going to be affected. Mm. Um, I also, but for me, you know, at the moment, my, my friend, Mike, Mike Rinder is um, having treatment for, for cancer. And yeah, um, my friend, Tony Taker is having treatment and various other people I know. And, and that, that lovely thought when you were when I was a Scientologist that 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 you could postulate that they would get better and this intention would be useful, and realizing, you know, the best I can do is I write to my friends and say, you know, you have my agnostic prayers. <laughs> That's it. You're in my thoughts, and and it, wanting to have that capacity, wanting to be able to touch people and heal them, or you know, and how sad it is that that we don't. But as you say, we can cheer them up a little bit. We can offer them our friendship and and listen to them grieving over their condition if 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 that's what they need to do without becoming too impatient. We can do something in that way. But I, I was uh, a few years ago. I was in, I was in Paris um, with um, on on. Wait, actually, to first meeting you for the first time, we shook hands, and that was about it. Oh, that's uh, in, right. in Bordeaux in 2017, and one of the, the I was there with my friend Yuval Laor, and one of his friends there said her mother was into the law of attraction, and I said, "Well, you know what I see is that there's a terrible danger in that. That when you wish for something and it doesn't happen, then." that shows your weakness but also when bad things happen to you it means you must have wished for them to happen right and this young woman delightful young woman said to me oh my mother's teacher explained that that's not a problem and i said could you tell me how and she said no <laughs> so you know accepting that 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 there are you know the universe is beyond my control as this you know i can affect a small portion of it and i can yeah i can have goodwill and i can i can wish people well and and not be horrible to people not call them anti-semitic and things like that um but that's that's as much as i can do so you know that and as you say we we grew up in that you know the santa claus easter bunny tooth fairy mm. culture where where we're taught that magic is, is all around us and all religions need to be magical to some extent it's a mm -hmm. part of what's happening and sometimes that will i mean thinking about the buddhist book of the great decease where you have the prophecy of of maitreya or Mateo. of course ron hubbard claimed that he was maitreya uh, uh and of course that's proved to be untrue because maitreya will take all of us into nirvana so unless he's decided to wait a little while and come back um he's not maitreya that's uh in the words of Monty Python, he's a very naughty boy, mm. uh, not the Messiah at all. But those, that sense, you know, that, you know, and, and so many people who've been involved with it, Tina Turner, of course, was involved with Shadow Gohonzon and, and chanted oh, yeah. to it to, to get things to happen. 
and I wonder how healthy it is. I wonder how much it's, um, you know, the the fear of death and the 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 fear of you know the dangers of our own existence that that makes us willing to believe fairy stories. You know, about well, okay, I think I think I think the reason that it's so prevalent is that it has an immediate and temporary um sense of relief that you've tried to do something yeah and now you wait you know for the wizard of oz to do the rest um but but to to stay within that belief system maintains a certain amount of stability in many people mm. that they wouldn't otherwise have um you know there, there are studies that have been done that show that people like that, that attend church and evangelical churches let's say every week and spend her three or four hours listening to a preacher and, and whatever and stay within that community are healthier have more stable lives and, and do better financially um, now that might have to do a lot with the fact that there's more community connection um, you know they know each other they help each other uh, it may have nothing to do with the faith aspect but the faith aspect is what draws this together the, the idea that, that you can be saved by doing all this stuff and, and to feel that you're being saved, in other words, conquering death, that's huge for a lot of people. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and so it's what um, this guy uh, in his book called Useful Delusions calls a useful delusion. Mm. Um, you know, th these are things which somehow make the world continue you know it's, it's what i called in my book uh that that cults have driven human social evolution they have been part of that cohesion that allows tribes to stay together and feel proud of themselves and, and whatever it also goes into danger which you know the us them thing comes in and you begin to kill people that aren't like you mm. uh, so that's the other problem with it. so so the blessing of the useful delusion can also become a curse of that delusion being imposed on others and if they don't accept it you kill them or you get rid of them so yeah i mean the, word, the very word religion has in it ligare from which the word ligament comes meaning to bind and the right. religion is is a, a system of binding people together and and i can see a useful to for usefulness to that and i must admit that as my own um spiritual let's say beliefs faltered um that that there was, you know, it was, you know, how, how am I going to face the world? How am I going to, what am I going to believe? And I'm very happy to report that after, you know, it's 40 years, it'll be 40 years in October since I left Scientology. I'm very happy to report that, that I'm very happy that, that I'm actually, you know, existentially, I'm not having any serious problem by not believing. And I think, you know, you could look to, to Epictetus, the, the Greek philosopher, um, but I came to him long after I'd arrived at Jiangsu. And Jiangsu's philosophy of life, this kind of uh, stoical Epicureanism that says, well, actually, I'm not clever enough to understand the world and what's going on in it. I find ease in that, but I also find ease in contemporary thinking about evolution that we don't just have the single, you know, the, the selfish gene 
um, driving us, you know, with our complete absence of free will. We also have epigenetics. Uh, we have natural and sexual selection. We have epigenetics, but we also have cultural transmission. And evidence has been accumulating in the last 25 years to show that a theory, I think the man was called Waddington, and he put the idea forward in the 1930s about changes to genes happening because of culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, Lamarck put forward epi an epigenetic theory, which you can stick together with the Darwin-Wallace hypothesis. But the thought of cultural transmission, the idea that we can actually, you know, all of this stuff about, oh, you know, chimps did this, so therefore we behave in this way. And so much of evolutionary psychology, so-called, is based upon this. Well, no, we can actually change our genes. They're not read-only. We can right. change our genes. We can change uh, the next generation and the generations beyond. And we can, all of us, every one of us have a very positive effect and for me that sense of being part you know a thread in the tapestry which has long been the way i've, I've looked at my life rather than being a perpetual individual um it i find it reassuring and so um it may be a delusion but i find it more useful than mm. believing in fairies so uh, so just to no, be i've got anything about this. against fairies don't get me wrong you know but yeah, yeah well you know They've had their day. Yeah, Conan Doyle was a huge believer. You know? Bless yeah. it. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the pictures. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you can see the little outlines of the cutout. Yes. He didn't notice. It's like, oh dear, the great but, but mind this, that created Sherlock Holmes. You know what? Did this epigenetics hypothesis or theory, you know, does indicate that there's two things going on. That apparently the sperm and eggs we produce change to some extent you know because they're constantly being formed according to what we experience in the environment mm -hmm. so the, the genetics change within us to be passed on that's part of the theory. the other part of the theory is that we can influence people let's say through our good works or our teaching or whatever to come up with um brighter ideas and, and, and a keener sense of being, uh, which then internally, they internalize and, and this changes the genetics in the sperm or whatever it is, the genetics they pass on. Yeah. You know, so it, it works. If that's true, then it, it would help if we had not only uh, good inner thoughts, but, you know, th th that are guiding us. Uh, but also the outer world teaching us in certain ways, whether it's the university or through mm. other social means uh, mm. that, that, you know, and, and all of this is, it might be hypothetical, but it all kind of makes sense that if you put something good out there, there's some good things going to come out of it, you know, yeah. for, for but, human beings. Yeah, and, and not, of course, not necessarily rewards for, for the person who does it. No, yeah. no, it might, might be not be in our time. And I think this mm. has been, the drive, the hope in forming any kind of a government. Like you said, even the early German socialism with, with, with Bismarck was actually a, a, a plus, was, was a, a decent idea. It helped a lot of people. And, um, yeah. but, but because it was helping, it looked like, well, we do, we, we're doing this well, therefore we should impose it on everyone. And that was a mistake. <laughs> and you know, how? Once, 
coercion begins, the coercion becomes tyrannical. Yes, it 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 can't it it won't work out well. I, I mean, I recently um, did a dive into the the um, Chinese thought reform programs of you know, which start in the late forties and go into the early fifties and re-emerged in Xinjiang. And uh, there is a strange thought in there that I'd not encountered in in you know in reading Lift and Shine, Mayor Lu the various people who are read in the counter cult field um read a book by a professor called uh, aminda smith uh, mm. which was ludicrously expensive because of the rip-off academic publishers 70 pounds for a volume that cost five pounds to make you know but i'm very pleased that i scraped the money together because it gave me a quite different perspective on what those programs were um that Marx, of course, and, and it's buried. People don't want to talk about it, but Marx, Lenin and Stalin and D.H. Lawrence and George Bernard Shaw all believed in the extermination of the ragged proletariat, the lumpen proletariat, the beggars, right. the thieves, the prostitutes, the sorcerers, the, <clears throat> the wandering vagrants. And th this peculiar notion that is embedded into Marxism. You know, Marx also said there's no such thing as a bloodless revolution. I I saw that when I was about 15 and went, I will never therefore be a Marxist. You know, that doesn't fit with my view of reality. I don't think killing people's a good idea. Could just be me. Um, but so this, what Mao did, I mean, he killed in two years about two and a half million members of the bourgeoisie. <laughs> so he was not a nice guy. Um, but at the same time, the prostitutes are being put through this program where they're being given a change of consciousness. That's what that's how it's expressed, mm -hmm. that the lower consciousness is the view that it's your fault. You know, it's your karma. It's what you've mm -hmm. done that is bringing you to this, which was common to Chinese society in the 40s and 50s. And the higher consciousness is the understanding that the man has done it to you. <laughs> You know that the establishment and the landlords the rentiers have, have forced this life upon you and bringing people out from that and that was really quite interesting to go you know i've had a 100 negative view of, of the brainwashing program and then seeing that why people were willing to believe it why people you know mm. i don't think it was useful you know as far as delusions go i think contemporary china is a dreadful place to live. Um, um, and I'm very glad that people are going around holding up bits of blank paper, which shows just how clever the Chinese are. You're going to arrest me for holding up a piece of blank paper, you know, um, or a yellow umbrella before that, whatever. But this, you know, this sense of identity that, that will push people, you know, at that time, that again brings us into a, in a kind of apocalyptic vision that, that what was being preached within communism was this idea that if we just eradicate, and while Mao may have been, seemed to be kindly towards the lumpen proletariat, ultimately he's the greatest mass murderer in all history, about 70 million people die. But what fascinates me within that, and, and what I'm writing a book about at the moment, is, is belief. 
You know, this misquotation from Voltaire that people who believe absurdities will commit atrocities, um, that by being caught up in these beliefs, people become less able in the world. So believing they can you know, inflict their vision on the world through prayer rather than going out and doing something, you know, um, or believing that you know, a great cleansing will occur. And it's, so it's okay in this generation to murder people so that it'll all be nice in the next generation. These, you know, we live within belief. I, I mean, Kant put forward the idea, so I'm told, because I'm that's way beyond my pay grade reading Immanuel Kant. But I'm told that he put forward the view that there is the world outside, but we live in our interpretation of the world, which is an idea that Hubbard repeated. Um, I don't think he got it as subtly as, as Kant did, though. And I think that is true. And that by being able to question beliefs, belief in apocalypse, um, belief in enforcing our will upon the world, you know, which, of course, Hitler, the triumph of the will, had taken from Nietzsche and from Schopenhauer, this idea of exerting the will upon the world, that we do that through good actions, not through magic, I guess would be the place I go to, by through compassion, through intelligent treatment of other people. And, well, and well I, think, relationship. I, I think you have to keep in mind, and this is why, you know, even though there's limits to how I understand pragmatism, that it came from Charles Sanders Peirce, but he, he basically called himself a fallibilist. And what he meant by that was that, that you have to keep the path of inquiry open all the time because yes. things are always flawed, especially in the communication of things between human beings. You can always refine our mutual understanding of something in order to get a solution correct or better. You know, and and, and so um yeah, you know, unfortunately, you know the, the, it's a lot simpler in some people's minds to have a dictator. And then to have a committee bickering all the time, like a Congress or a parliament, to come up with some decent idea that takes them 10 years to figure out when to vote on. You know, and so you can understand why there's frustration among people to get it simple and to get, you know, the benevolent dictator, what they think is benevolent because he's appointed by God, and uh, let them run things because it's a lot more efficient, you know. And, uh, but, but the checks and balances are gone now. And that's where the danger always is. And it's always the danger in totalist cults is the checks and balances are gone. Mm. It's, it's, it's an internal machine that runs very well and gets a lot of things done for itself mm. and for the leader, but it doesn't do a whole lot of good for the outside world. Or, mm. you know, so you have to join the group in order to get the benefits, um, oh. whatever they are. So, so yeah, I, I think, we have to remind ourselves that we are fallibilists. We are fallible. We, we do mis make mistakes in judgment. In order to correct that, we have to use the sciences. We have to use linguistic analysis. What the hell are we really saying? Yeah. You know, and, and um, are we using the precise word? Are we using, you know, and this is why we all need editors, <laughs> you know, because we tend to write things that look look wonderful and then the editor looks at it and says what the hell are you meaning here this doesn't come up, make any sense you know and then you get frustrated and think you mean they can't understand my brilliance and uh uh but <laughs> but but you, you get my point I do. is that 
we 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 are in a kind of a muddled world and we we don't want that we want to be you know free and clear in our perceptions we want to enjoy nature hmm. you know we don't want to have to uh worry about the uh the nile virus you know coming through some mosquito and ruining our whole day and our week and maybe our whole life hmm. you know uh, and uh it's so you know nature isn't always pristine and beautiful nature is also very dangerous um, so, in other words, we have, we have to maintain the sense that we are fallible. Is what I'm saying. And yeah, I agree. Yeah, fallible. John John Stuart Mill says says much the same thing in On Liberty, uh, doesn't he? That that even if an idiot has told us something three times and we've heard every word, we should listen a fourth time, because we might not be right. And um, it, it it is you know that the the dogmatic and bigoted point of view, and. And the desire, as you say, the world is just too complicated and I'm not clever enough to understand it. As a younger man, I therefore allowed other people to understand for me and, you know, bought into their certainties. Um, and then I had the great good fortune of, of being released from that system, you know, quite by accident. I was released because I believed in it and thought it was being perverted within the Church of Scientology. Right. And a few months after leaving, I was far enough away from that intellectual isolation to to think about things. And I remember that year very well, 83, 84, that, that I was in, I was I was very happy despite being harassed by Scientology intelligence department, which I hadn't known existed until then, really. Um, the, the thought of being able to think for myself, not having to conform my ideas to anybody else's ideas, you know, not having to do exactly what Ron Hubbard said so that I could become self-determined, you know, that all of these paradoxes, you know, were gone and I didn't have to belong to anyone or anything anymore. That was a great liberation. But of course, it's also quite frightening because it means you'll have to think, you know, you'll have to mm -hmm. make decisions. And we're not teaching kids how to do that. And, and we should. But that's a conversation for another day, and I yes, it is, yeah. uh, and a we're good running, conversation. Yeah, we're running low on time here. It looks like. Yeah, I think I think we're I think we're near to a conclusion. If there's something else that you would like to, as Scientologists say, say or ask before I end this session, then that would be absolutely fine. Is it, any thought? Yeah, I just watched. Um, I, I'm doing a painting that, that has a birch bark canoe in it. And I thought, well, I need to find out what the hell this boat is about. Mm -hmm. And I watched the one hour video, excellent, on how the natives made birch bark canoes in the United States. It is an engineering marvel mm -hmm. that they, they use spruce roots and natural materials and you know cutting boards without modern equipment, gathering stuff from the forest using making pitch from uh, uh, tree, pine tree sap along with, uh, mixed with fat and with charcoal to make it stronger, to, to bind the seams yeah. where they had to lay. I mean, it, I was stunned at how uh, uh, sophisticated mm. and it was a community project, you know, where they have to gather stuff and, and the builder or of course organize it. But I'm thinking of that in terms of, of 
the 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 cults like Scientology uses that model of building something that's real mm. and genuine and elaborate. Completely, it looks very simple, but it's really elaborate. Mm. It takes about seven days of hard work to put that yep. thing together, knowing what you're doing, and then saying we can put yourself together, your atman or whatever, uh, if you follow these precise rules. It's like building a boat, you know. Mm. So. I'll leave it at that. There's a world of difference between the idealism mm. of, of the Plato cult and the reality of building a birch bark canoe. Mm. And, and whether at the end of the day, the canoe will float. Exactly. And, and this thing did float. Yeah. Whereas most songs. All right. Well, I'm going to leave sink. it at that. <laughs> Grand. Wonderful talking with you. And we'll. Uh, Same here, John. We will Take meet care. again in the soonest. Thanks so much. Be John. well. Bye -bye. You too. Hi, John here. Thanks for watching. We'd appreciate it very much if you would click like, as well as subscribe, and click the bell for notifications. Every dollar helps, and we welcome new patrons on Patreon. Or you can make a one-off payment with any currency through PayPal. Thanks so much.